We are continuing on in our series, Indivisible Philippians, Philippians chapter 3 today. Philippians chapter 3, we'll start reading in verse 12. When you got it, say so. And it says this, it says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who, who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Lord, we stand fast in your truth today. Thank you so much, God, for this beautiful time that we've had to sing unto you. And in that, Lord God, being reminded of your faithfulness to your promises, of the greatness of who you are, God. And so now we ask that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. God, that we would be attentive to your voice, that we would not just hear words, but God, that we would hear your words, that our souls would be changed and transformed by the power of your truth, God. May you be glorified in the preaching and the hearing of your word. May we not be hearers alone, but may we be doers. May we respond to you in faith. And Lord, I come against every distraction of mind and heart right now. May we be fixed on you for these next few moments. And we ask this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so as I said, we are continuing in our series, Indivisible. And today we're going to be talking about pressing on together, pressing on together. And there's something that I believe, and it is this, that there is no greater joy that the enemy has than when people are deceived and stuck. Think about that for a moment. There is no greater joy that the enemy has than when people are deceived and when they are stuck. And here's what I would say for us as the church. We should be neither. We shouldn't be deceived, nor should we be stuck, but we should be moving forward. Why? Because the truth of God's word sets us free from deception as well as stagnation. 
And so as believers, we shouldn't be stuck. I mean, I know that right now it's like our, our world is on pause, you know, right now. We're, we're, things are up in the air, and we're like, wait, where do we go? Church, we got to press on. No matter what happens, we don't stop being the church. We don't stop pressing on toward the goal as the Apostle Paul communicates here. And here's what I will say to you, and think about this this morning. As long as the church is looking upward, it will continue moving forward. As long as the church is looking upward, it will continue moving forward. This is so important for us because what, what I firmly, firmly believe is that one of the greatest issues that we have in our day and in our time is that we've stopped looking upward. We've stopped looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We're looking to other things, other people, and we need to be focused upward. Why? Because if we are not focused upward, then we start to get focused on stuff that is going on around here just to bring us back for a moment to remember the apostle Paul is writing this as he is incarcerated He's not writing this from an island somewhere where he's sipping lemonade and he had a beautiful prayer time and all of a sudden he said you know what I just want to write a letter just to encourage the church I feel inspired in this moment, right? He wasn't gazing over some glorious landscape. I mean, I'm not exactly sure where he was. I mean, it may have been, may have been nice. I don't, I don't know. But here's what I know is that it wasn't like an easy moment for him. And if he would have got consumed with what was going on around here, we wouldn't have this letter to talk about. We wouldn't have these words to hear, to be inspired by. However, he did not keep it, he did not take his focus off of where and who he was supposed to be focused on. And so Paul communicates to us, he reveals to us the key to us moving forward. Paul was moving forward despite the fact that in the natural it would seem like, I mean, come on, man, he was, he was strapped up to a guard, was he not? Incarcerated, he wasn't moving anywhere. He was hopeful that he would be released and that he he would be able to go visit the church of Philippi. However, physically he was stuck. Physically he was in a place that he could not move. And yet the apostle Paul gives us some directives and he tells us some things that we should be inspired by. And so again, church, if we will look upward, if we will maintain our focus upward, we will continue to move forward the way that God intends, the way that God has called us to. So I would ask you to repeat this after me if you would, this first thing here. Say, we cannot press on looking backwards. We cannot press on looking backwards. We can't move forward if we're looking backwards. If we look at verse 12 here, again, verse 12 to verse 14, it says this, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul was moved not to look backwards, and we already went through his pedigree and his resume and how amazing he was as a Jewish man, as a Pharisee of Pharisees, as, as a person who, according to the law, was blameless. He went through all of that to let you know if anybody should have confidence in the flesh, it's me. If anybody should look backwards and be like, man, I was on my way, and now look at me. 
I mean, think about it for a moment, right? Like, I mean, the guy is incarcerated, and he was sitting under, you know, Gamaliel. He was sitting under the greatest teachers in Israel being what? Being positioned to be ready. It would have been Paul, the great teacher of Israel. It would have been Paul, that, that, that great communicator of truth to the people of God. I mean, he was on his way to being positioned greatly, and now he finds himself incarcerated. And yet Paul is saying, man, I don't look backwards at those things. I don't even look backward to when I was free as a believer. What I do is I press on. What I do is I move forward. See, one of the most paralyzing things, one of the most paralyzing forces in our lives is our past, whether it is the nostalgia of what once was. Come on now, some of us are looking backwards. Glory to God. We remember those days when we would get up and we didn't feel any pain. We didn't even know what pain was. We remember those days when someone was like, you need to lift with your knees, not your back. You were like, ah, shut up. You know, we, we, we remember those days, right? Like, don't talk to me about that. Now we're like, oh, glory to God, I should have listened, you know? And so now we're trying to encourage others. But we look back to those days, right? You know, somebody posted on Facebook, one of my friends, he's a barber, and he said, is anybody struggling with receding hairline? And I'm like, bro, I've been bald for like 20 years here. I'm like, come on now. <laughs> I said, I'm struggling. Come on, can you help a brother out? Right, just looking. But, but here's the thing. We can get stuck. We can get stuck looking at the nostalgia of what once was, or we get stuck looking at the regrets of the things that never were or the things that we did that we regret that we did. And yet we cannot get stuck looking backwards. The only reason why we should look backward is to repent. That's why. So we can turn away from sin or coming back to the Lord, as the book of Revelation would tell us, or if we're trying to learn a lesson. But can I tell you something? Don't get stuck so much just measuring all of your past, trying to learn all these lessons. Listen, sometimes you just got to continue moving forward. Some people get stuck trying to learn the lessons from every single thing that ever happened in the past. The fact is this, is that if we keep looking backwards, we will not, we will not move forward. And so what was it the, that the Apostle Paul was pressing towards? The Apostle Paul said he was pressing toward. He, it, says, it says that he was taken hold of, that God took hold of him. And he's like, I want to take hold of the thing for which I was taken hold of. I love that terminology. He was grasped. God grabbed him. God rescued him. God revealed himself to him. God grabbed a hold of the Apostle Paul because he had something for him. So what was it that the Apostle Paul was pressing forward that you and I should be pressing forward? There's a theme that we see earlier as we go back to the two weeks ago when I was preaching and talking about how Paul said, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. And so when Paul says, I haven't arrived, when Paul says, I haven't apprehended, Paul is saying, listen, I, I don't yet know him in the fullness of his resurrection power. And again, when I think about my life, and I'm like, man, I know Paul was way like light years ahead of me spiritually. I know that Paul was like, I mean, this is an apostle, you know, someone who has encountered God on so many levels and, and has revelation from God. I mean, this, this, and, and he is saying, I I have not arrived. I haven't achieved, but he's striving toward this resurrection life. That's what he's doing. He's striving toward a life of resurrection. He's, he's, that, that's what God grabbed a hold of him. So that way the resurrection, see, you and I have to realize something, is that our lives either testify to the reality of the resurrection or our lives deny the reality of the resurrection. Think about that. Our lives either testify to the reality of a risen true Savior, or our lives deny that risen true Savior. 
People look at our lives and the question is, do they see the resurrection in us? Do they see the resurrection power of Jesus operating in our lives? The things we value, the way that we live, the things that we desire. Is the resurrection life of Jesus being manifested? Because it's twofold that Paul has been grasped by God for. Number one is to become more like Christ. That's what all of us are supposed to be doing, are we not? We are all supposed to be, to be becoming more like Christ. That's the reason why we are being conformed, right? That we're being conformed to his image, to his likeness. That's, that's what's happening to us. That's resurrection life. But then there's also the resurrection future, to spend eternity with him. And so Paul was, again, looking forward to this resurrection. So here's what I would say is that we must press on, right? We have to press on. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I had the privilege and the opportunity to, to be a, a um, assistant coach to our youth ministry's basketball team, and right? Assistant coach because there was someone who was a better coach than I, and so I was the youth pastor, so it was just like, hey, you're going to be here anyway. It wasn't like I really did anything other than yelled and was like, yeah, come on. Like I, that, that's what my job was, really, to encourage them. However, at that time, Pastor Aldo, he was, he's not in here at this moment, uh, but I, I had, the, I had the, the, the privilege to watch him and his brother Francisco, they, they played on this team. And they are, you know, they're not the tallest guys by any, by any stretch of the imagination. So you're like, what are they doing playing basketball? Well, they, 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 they were what you would call the full court press. And I, and I watched them disrupt the game for every other team because they were, I, I have also had the privilege of playing basketball against Pastor Aldo. And I hate when he guards me because I'm not, I'm not by far the best basketball player. I don't have, you know, dribble, I, all that. No, 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 I'm, I'm not that guy. This guy is like a fly. He doesn't, I mean, they don't go away. It's like they're, they're zoned in on one thing. They want the ball. They want the ball. And so watching him and his brother press, full court press, the whole time, the way that we won games, the way that we came out on top, it wasn't because we were the best team that was out there. I mean, we, look, we didn't even have uniforms. I mean, these other teams, they were out. You know how it is when you go to basketball tournaments, right? Like, I mean, they got their whole uniforms on. I mean, they're looking sharp. And we were out here like, you know, shorts and shirts, glory. Glory to God. I think we might have had shirts that were from our youth ministry. I don't even remember. But the fact was we weren't looking like these guys. But we were winning because of what? Because the guys that were playing defense and were playing offense, it was full court press. All the way down, you, you put pressure on the ball. You were pressing. When I was thinking about this, what does pressing look like? Man, that's what pressing looks like. That's what pressing on looks like. It means that I, look, they, they weren't looking at to the left or to the right. They had an assignment. You know what they were doing? They were focused. Heads down. They didn't care who was to their left, to their right. They didn't care what was going on. Their assignment was what? Pressure the ball. Press on. Don't give them space. Don't allow them to dribble down court. Be on them on the other side. Make sure you put the pressure there, church. That's how we are supposed to be pressing. When Paul says, I press on, what it, it, it is a word of intensity. He is pressing on, literally running, literally to catch up with someone is the way that this word is depicted. Paul is saying, man, I am pressing on toward the upward call. I am pressing on toward this high calling that I have. I'm pressing forward. I'm forgetting what's behind. I'm forgetting about everything that's happening around me, and I am pressing on toward the upward call because he realized that everything that's happening around him is going to fall. It, it, all, all kingdoms are going to crumble. All of this stuff is going to be not one day, and we're going to be with God in glory, and so we should be living for that. The apostle Paul shows us that we cannot allow the past, our past, or the past of others, 
paralyze us, to hold us up, to keep us from striving after him with all of our hearts in relationship and mission. Please understand that. Paul wasn't just one or the other. He was both and. He was pressing on to know Christ in the fellowship of his suffering, in the power of his resurrection. He was pressing on to know him in an intimate way, but he was also pressing on toward the upward call, not just a call to heaven, but a call to glorify God, that he was, he was committed to what he was commissioned to. He was committed. He was pressing forward, not giving up on what God had called him to do. The second thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we cannot press on in immaturity. We cannot press on in immaturity. We cannot press on if we are immature people. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. The fact is this, is that we need maturity if we're going to press on. One of the marks of immaturity is giving up when things get tough. Is that not true? Think about your kids. You know, we have some kids in the room. Obviously, you guys don't have kids, right? But, 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 but think about when you were at, at a certain age in your life, a certain time in your life. And you, I remember being in fifth grade. I remember, I'll never forget being in fifth grade. I had a teacher that I, she thought highly of me for some reason. And she, she was like, you know what? I want you to be the class president. And she's like, there's going to be a lot of work involved in this. She said, and if you can't do it, if you feel like it's too much pressure, you know, this person can take over. But I really think that you can be the class president. And I have no clue because I don't even remember what was going on in my life. But there was so much going on in my life that I didn't even last one day trying to be the class president. I went and talked to somebody. And I was like, hey, man, you go ahead and be the class president. Well, she was highly upset with me, right, because she was like, um, wait a second. Why didn't you come and speak to me? And I was like, well, you told me I could talk to them. So I just went to them, right, because I knew what was going to happen. What was going to happen was she was going to encourage me. To press on, to continue forward. Why did I do that? Because I was immature. Because I had this immaturity in my life. It's, listen, can I tell you something? Just because you're, you know, above a certain age, that doesn't make you mature. Especially in biblical things, right? Because there's some Christians who have been in church all their lives, and you're like, man, do you even know Jesus? Come on now. You have conversations, and you're like, man, are you, are you really walking with the Lord? I mean, and, and it's not to be judgmental because, you know, when I first got saved, I was super judgmental, right? Like, I was like, I thought I was walking on water with Jesus, and I wasn't even sinking. Come on now, right? Like, I mean, I, mean, I really had this, this understanding of myself. But, but, but I'm talking about, like, after you come and you, and you start to know Jesus, you start to know your own shortcomings. See, because here's what I understand, that one of the things that is holding the church back is a lack of biblical devotion. That is where we find this immaturity. It is a lack of biblical devotion. What do I mean by this? Well, a while back, I think I told you guys about an article that I received or a blog that someone sent to me. And the concept in the blog was that we need to stop saying be biblical and start saying be Christ-like. Now, I don't know if you see a problem with what I just said. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But here's the problem. The problem is you cannot be Christ-like apart from being biblical. 
I'm just saying, right? Like, I, how, how can I, being Christ-like isn't being, uh, you know, mamby-pamby, just emotional. That, that, that's, not, that, that's not being Christ-like. Being Christ-like is being one that loves but also communicates truth. It's one who loves in a truthful way. It's the one who tells a woman who is caught in adultery, doesn't just pat her on the back and say, yeah, you all good. No. He says, no one else condemns you, neither do I. Go sin no more, right? He he didn't just leave her in her sin to continue in sin. He showed compassion for sure. But how do we know this? Because it's in the Bible. We know this because it's in the scriptures. And so if you have read this blog or if someone has shared this with you, I encourage you to reject it because it's not truth. It is, it is a non sequitur. You cannot have Jesus without truth. You cannot have Jesus without scripture. You cannot have Jesus without being biblical. If you are really being biblical, then you're going to be being Christ-like. Those are the facts. You're going to be like Christ. See, and I want you to understand this. Biblical devotion is not measured by how much knowledge you have. It's measured by character. Because you can quote all the scriptures all day. My question is this. Are you living it? Because I hear plenty of people nowadays, right, like people know, they know, especially in the moment that we live in, and, I, and I, listen, I want to qualify this. I'm not saying I have an issue with social justice and doing things that are right, but I have people that will quote social justice scriptures all day long, and yet they're unloving, unforgiving, disrespectful, insensitive. How is that being a biblical Christian? It's not. You're quoting Bible. You're quoting scripture that does matter, but your character is lacking. Church, we're supposed to be loving, we're supposed to be gracious. We can, we can quote scriptures about all kinds of different sins and quote scriptures about how we're supposed to be righteous. But the question is, is the love of Christ moving you? See, the reason the person wrote that particular blog is because they are seeing a problem. And the problem is that there is a lack of love. There's a lack of empathy. There's a lack of compassion and some biblical Christians. And I would agree with that. But that doesn't mean you throw the Bible out. That doesn't mean you ignore scripture because what's going to motivate us, what's going to develop us, and for my brothers that are in the room where on Saturday mornings we were getting together and we started yesterday a series about being spiritual men, and we're talking about being spirit-filled. This week we're going to talk about being spirit-fed, men who are fed in God's word, what that really looks like. It is God's word that changes our hearts. It's God's word, God's word that changed our lives. And so Paul goes on and says, he says, hey, therefore... For us that are mature, and it's funny because the way that he communicates it, he's like, man, I'm not perfect, I haven't arrived, but some of you think you have, therefore, if you're mature. That's what he's saying. You know, Paul's a little bit sarcastic. I don't know if you ever noticed that in his writings. But he, but, but he says things with a, you know, you know, for those of us that are mature, for those of us that think a little bit of ourselves, let this mind be in you. What mind is this? Isn't that the mind of Christ that we found in chapter 2? The one who came to this earth, humbled himself, became flesh and blood, humbled himself to death on the cross. That that, that was the mindset that was supposed to be had. And then Paul goes on to say, and listen, if you think differently, I love this. If you think differently, even God will reveal it to you. You know, you got a lot of people that think differently nowadays. My question is, are they really seeking God to hear from God? Are they really seeking God for his direction, or are they just seeking someone out who will agree with them? What what, what does Paul talk about? He talks about those who would heap teachers up to themselves that have itching ears, and those teachers would do what? They would tickle their ears. They would scratch their ears. They would itch them where where they had an itch. Come on now. 
They're not doing anything to bring truth into their lives. They're not doing anything to bring transformation to their lives. However, we, we as the church, are supposed to be what? We're supposed to be seeking God's will. Seeking God's wisdom. Seeking God's direction. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so what do we have here? We have three things that Paul calls us to. One of them is unity. The other one is obedience. The third one is perseverance. In this text here, he says what? He says clearly, therefore let us who are, who are mature, as many are mature, have this mind. What is he saying? We need to be of one mind. He repeats it again in verse 16. Let us be of the same mind. Unity is the mark of what? Maturity. Immature people don't walk in unity. Now for those of you that are married, you can appreciate this. There was probably a point in your marriage where you were not as unified as you are today. Come on now. <laughs> and what it was is that you were more immature in the beginning of your relationship. Hopefully, hopefully, glory to God. You've come to a place of maturity where you understand each other, where you reason with each other, where you know where you both feel about certain things. And now there's what? There's unity. There's harmony. It's a sign of maturity. It's a sign that you're able to compromise, that you're able to figure out what's worth fighting for and what we don't need to fight about. It's a sign of maturity. The same thing goes for the church. The same thing goes for the culture in which we live. We need to walk in unity, and that unity comes from maturity that is brought through our relationship with God. The second thing that we see is obedience. Obedience, what does Paul say? He says, in verse 16, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained. So what is he saying? Listen, what you already know, do it. What you already know to be true, listen, you don't need to ask questions about what you know to be true. You don't need to, you don't need to argue. You need to just do it. Just obey what you know is right. Obey what you know is right. Again, a sign of maturity is what? Is that you walk in obedience. You don't, just, you don't just obey once in a while. You don't just obey, one, you know, here and there. No, no, no. You walk in obedience, which brings us to the point of perseverance. And so he says what? Let us walk by the same rule. Not just walk once in a while, but let our lives, let our conduct be directed by the truth we already know. Because here's what happens. God is going to continue to add his revelation and understanding to us as we remain in his word. As we continue growing in our relationship with him, he's going to continue to expound our understanding of his will, of his purposes. He's going to continue to develop our character. So church, you know what that means we have to do? That means that we have to walk in maturity. We have to walk in perseverance. We have to walk in obedience. We have to strive after these things because here's what I know is that if the church was striving after unity, if the church was striving after obedience, if the church is striving after perseverance, you know what we would see? We would see the fruit of the resurrection power of God in us when we're striving after that. But you know what? We strive after a whole bunch of different things and we end up losing focus and we end up losing momentum and we're not moving forward the way that God wants us to press on and not just press on but church press on together for weeks for months I've been preaching calling the church to what unity when we got into the book of Philippians I said listen this book has this tone of joy but the message that is throughout is unity be unified be one mind be one heart be in one accord Church, we need to walk in unity. We need to fight for unity, but you know, we're not going to be able to walk in unity if we're not walking in obedience. 
And if we're not willing to persevere, persevere means that, you know, when there's moments that we have discord or we have disagreement, you know, we do, we try to figure stuff out. It's kind of like your, your vehicle, right? Your vehicle. You know, you drive it, you go, you get it aligned, you get some new tires and everything feels great. You know, you, if you're like me, you drive and you take your hands off the wheel just to see, like, is this thing really aligned? And you're driving, like, man, this thing is amazing. <laughs> Not for a long time, right? Just, 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 just momentarily. Long enough, you know, to see. So, but then something happens. As you keep driving, as you keep moving forward, you hit a few bumps few potholes because they're always doing work on the road somewhere. You don't even realize it, but your car, your car starts pulling to the left or pulling to the right. And you don't realize it because it's gradual. It's a gradual thing. And, 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 and you know, if you don't have, like, you know, if, you, if you're not, like, because I only do this in the beginning, right? I don't keep, I don't do it every time I get in the car. Let me let go of the steering wheel. Like, that, that doesn't happen, right? You naturally just start to acclimate. And what do you start doing? You don't even realize it. But you're holding the wheel so that way the car stays straight. So thank God for reminders and say, hey, you need to rotate these tires. Glory to God. Because then what happens is you go in there and you're like, hey, I paid for this, you know, this, um, you know, rotation and this balance and, and, and all that stuff. And so, and, you know, can we align the car? And then you go in there and you realize, man, this car was way off of alignment. Church, that's our problem. Our problem is we have been slowly veering off course. We slowly veer off of the direction, our focus of, on, on heavenly things. We end up what? We end up over here struggling and fighting. And what do we need? We need divine alignment. We need God to align our hearts. And how does he do it? He does it with truth. He does it by his spirit. He does it in these ways. We need this alignment. The third thing that I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we cannot press on, cannot press on. being earthly-minded. Earthly we cannot press on being earthly-minded. We cannot press on. We're supposed to press on together. But we cannot do that being earthly-minded. Look what Paul says in verse 17. He says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. And look what he says. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that, they're, that they are the enemies of the cross. Now, I, I, want, I want to just pause there for a moment because we're going to jump back into this. But I want you to see Paul is communicating to us, and he's letting us know, hey, you have examples to follow here. And let, me, and let me say that one of the greatest struggles that we have as believers is to find the balance between what matters temporally in the temporal and what matters eternally. It's a struggle to, to figure out that balance. And we can be so given to the temporal and so concerned about the natural things that we can ignore eternal things. And, 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 and the truth is that there are in some cases where people get so consumed with the eternal things that they ignore the temporal things. But here's what I firmly believe, and this is, this is just me looking at this. If we discipline ourselves toward the heavenly, the eternal, we will always be faithful in the earthly, the temporal. Now think about that. I just said sometimes people get so focused on the eternal that they neglect the temporal. But, here's, but, this, but I said, I didn't just say focus, I said discipline. 
See, because here's what happens. And yesterday we were talking about this with the men. And, we, and, and I asked the question about knowing God's will and understanding what God's will is. And here's what we have to realize is that God's will is found in his word, but it is also found in our lives. And so here's the fact, right? The fact is this. We have people in this room that are single, right? So that means that the scriptures that pertain to marriage don't pertain to you. You know why? You ain't married. You don't, have to, you don't have to memorize scriptures about marriage. You don't have to meditate on scriptures about marriage. You can pray. Listen, I'm not telling you not to think. You can pray about it and know that this is. But right now, you're not married. For those, for those in the room that don't have children, guess what you don't have to worry about? You don't have to worry about any scripture that deals with children. You know why? You ain't got no children. However, if you are married with children, guess what you got to do? You got to meditate on. You got to memorize. You got to live. You've got to repent, glory to God. For when you don't obey those scriptures that deal with marriage, when you're not loving and submitting, when you're not honoring each other, when you're not raising your children the right way. For those of you that are employed, looking at the scriptures that deal with how a bondservant is supposed to act, well, guess what? You're responsible for that. You are responsible to do what? To obey. But here's my point. My point is anything that is in this word that God is commanding us about, you know what it is? It's something that has eternal value. It may be a thing that is, that is in a temporal realm, marriage, children, work, those types of things. However, these things do have eternal value. So when you discipline yourself towards the eternal, when you discipline yourself toward the heavenly, you know what God is going to do? God is going to direct you to be faithful in the temporal, to be faithful in the earthly to be faithful in the things that you are supposed to do. And so how do we know or what, are we, what is it that we need to see here in this text when you think about being earthly minded? First of all, I would say this, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We need examples to follow that point us to our heavenly caller and our heavenly calling. We need examples to follow that point us to our heavenly caller, which is God, and to our heavenly calling, which is to live for his glory. We need people who we can look at. Paul says, listen, follow my example. You know my example. You know how I live. That's the reason why leaders, right, we can't just be up, you know, somewhere and never engage with people. Because what? Because people need to see how we live. They need to see when we're living and, you know, we're walking in the glory of God. And they also need to see when we need to repent. Amen. Just like in our homes, right? Our families see that. I mean, as, as a man in, in my house, there are plenty of moments that I'm like, yes, I'm living for God's glory. And other moments, I'm like, man, I need to repent. But we need examples that do what? That point us to the caller, that point us to the calling that we have, that are pointing us in that direction. The second thing is this, is that we must reject the examples of those who reject the Savior, and we need to do that with weeping. I want you to look at what Paul says here in verse 18. In verse 18, he says this. He says, for many walk. There's a lot of people that are walking. There's a lot of people that are saying they're Christian. I told you about this new reformation that's taking place where people want to reject the Bible. They want to reject truth, and yet they still want to call themselves Christians. That is happening. There are many people who are walking, is what Paul says. Many who walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping. He was broken about what he's about to say. He wasn't happy about what he's about to say. He wasn't saying this lightly. He wasn't just communicating something flippantly, but he is weeping. He is broken. Why? Because he cares about humanity. He says what? That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Listen, we're about to partake of communion in a moment. When we partake of communion, it is a reminder of what? Our sin, our Savior, our salvation. It is a reminder that we could not save ourselves. A reminder that someone had to die in our place in order to give us eternal life. It was a reminder that he gave his life and now we are supposed to respond in giving our lives. Listen, we live in a day that people want to save themselves. They want to believe they're good enough to get into heaven. They're good enough. They don't need God. They are enemies of the cross. We're living in a day as well where people think, well, Jesus already died, so I don't have to do anything. That's false. That's a lie. We're supposed to live for the glory and the honor of God. But he goes on, he doesn't leave it there, but he goes on to say this. He said, whose end in verse 19 is destruction. When someone is an enemy of the cross, what is their end? Their end is not glory. Their end is destruction. That's why he's weeping. That's why he's broken. Because many of these people he preached to when he planted this church, many of these people he declared God's word to, many of these people he's communed. And, and Paul has a brokenness over the fact that those who reject the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. He says, whose God is their belly. Their God, their desires are what govern their lives. Not God. It's not God's will. It's their desires. That's why they don't want to deal with the cross, because they want to do what they want to do. The cross calls us to accountability, and whose, and, and whose glory is in their shame. The things that they glory in, the sins that they glory in, the things that they boast about, the things that seem so great, the achievements, accomplishments, those things are what? Those things are going to be a shame. When they stand before God Almighty and who what? Who set their mind on earthly things. They set their mind on earthly things. What did I say? We can't press on if our minds are what? If our minds are on earthly things. The third thing that, I, that we have to have here is we must embrace our citizenship. Church, this is so encouraging for us. That we are reminded by the Apostle Paul. He goes on to say this in verse 20. We shouldn't be earthly minded. Because what? Because our citizenship is in heaven. <laughs> oh, in this moment, that's encouraging, is it not? In this season that we are in, a, in, in such turmoil in our nation, so much confusion that is going on, and, you, you know, and you're like me, you're, you know, praise God for, you know, being born in America and, you know, having this opportunity to be here, all the opportunities that we have, and yet I want you to know that there is a greater citizenship that you have. There is a place where there's no confusion right now, hallelujah. <laughs> There's no recounting. There's no, uh, there, none of that is going on. There is a place where you know what is happening? There is worship that is taking place. There is praise and glory that is taking place. There is honor because one came down here and died and rose again. And now he is the lamb of God in glory whom we worship, we adore. And our citizenship is not here in this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is our encouragement in this moment. And you know what, church? Let me tell you something. As I was praying for us last night, the one thing that was just resonating in my soul is the church needs realignment. We need to be realigned. Where is our kingdom? Where is our citizenship? Where is our help? Where is it? It comes from a king who we look forward to his return. That is where our citizenship is. I'm not saying we don't need to care about stuff. 
mean, you know, a, a very famous president, you know, he communicated that elections have consequences. Come on now. This is factual. But not ultimate eternal consequences. Not for the church. The church is supposed to be the light that shines brightly for the king. No matter what's going on. No matter the turmoil. No matter what's happening. No matter the confusion. Church, no matter the persecution. Because guess what? It's going to happen. Is it going to happen now? I don't know. But the Bible says it's going to happen. Persecution is promised. Tribulation is promised. Hardship is promised. Anybody who desires to be godly in Christ Jesus is going to experience hardship. Listen, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to know it's coming. But you know what? No matter what, go to those churches that are underground churches like China and these different places. And guess what? They are there and they realize their citizenship it's not in this earth. Their citizenship is in heaven from which, from which we also eagerly await. You know what I think this moment is supposed to do for us? It is supposed to awaken an eagerness inside of us to see the coming of the Lord. It should awaken an eagerness for us to see the glory of God. It should awaken an eagerness for us to never suffer, never worry, never be concerned again. Awaken an eagerness. That's what should be happening in this moment. And, and, and as this eagerness is awakening in our hearts, you know what it should be doing as well? It should be pushing us towards others who need to hear the gospel. It should be pushing us towards sharing this truth with a world that is hurting. Listen, we're going to debate about all kinds of stuff for the rest of the days we're on this earth. But I would hope, I would hope that we as the church would press on. And that we would look to our citizenship, that we would look to the Savior who is coming in verse 21, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Isn't that an awesome promise? That one day, this lowly body will be transformed to a glorious body. This lowly body that you feel the decay, glory to God, the older you get, you feel the breaking down. You feel this body that is going through so much is going to be transformed into a glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to, the, even to subdue all things to himself. His kingdom is durable, is it not? His kingdom is everlasting, is it not? And I love verse 1 in chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren... My joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord. I love the encouraging words that we have. And here's what I know is this, is that we must embrace our citizenship as we await our Savior and our glorification. As we, as we get ready to partake of communion, thinking about that glorification, that day, it is a remembrance that Jesus rose and he's coming again. Church, we have to have values that are not the values of this world. And so my closing question for you is this, is something holding you back? Is something holding you back? Is something hindering you from pressing on? Is something hindering you from pushing forward? Are you earthly minded and you're just so stuck in the things that are going on in this world that you can't press on? Is something holding you back? Are you, are, are you really, I mean, do you realize that, you, man, maybe you're, you're struggling with immaturity? Maybe that's what's holding you back. I don't know. 
Maybe it's that you're looking back. You're wishing we could go back to the good old days. Listen, there's some great days ahead. Glorious days that are promised for us. We can't look back. We can't be immature. We cannot be earthly minded. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Lord, we thank you so much for the goodness that you show us. We thank you for the grace that you reveal to us. And Lord, we ask that you would speak. Speak to us, Lord God. What is it that is holding us up, Lord? What is it that is holding us back? Lord, if there's anything that's holding my brothers or my sisters back today, may they release those things to you. May they be freed to press on. May we be freed to press on. God, we thank you. We honor you and we praise you for these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we get ready to partake of communion, if you need communion, the ushers will be.